people. Up here, we're going to have the money talk. Money, 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 money. You guys know that song. Um, and I just wanted to sing that. You're welcome. Um, so let's be honest, though. When I say that phrase, we're having the money talk, there are all sorts of words and thoughts triggered in your mind. Some of you right now are thinking, oh, great, this is the week that I showed up to church. Other you are saying, why do pastors always make such a big deal when they talk about money in a sermon? It's not a big deal after all. It's something none of us can live without. Others of you maybe are already feeling guilty because in your mind you feel like, well, he's going to say I should be giving this amount and I never measure up and I try, but I can't do well enough. And so it's a, an issue of tension for you. Fuse this issue at hand, there's all sorts of teachings out there. Different churches and different pastors talk about money in very different ways. So famously, you have your health and wellness preachers. You know them by their private jets and the Botox to make them always look young and happy. And they just tell you that you can actually kind of corner God to do what you want him to do. If you just give to him, then he has to respond and give back to you financially. So they might say, hey, if you need $100 for rent on Friday, give to my ministry today. And then God will guarantee respond and give you the money that you need. Other pastors teach a very black and white lesson, the 10% tithe. That word tithe is what we're talking about today. It, the root of it comes from the 10th. It's to give a 10th of all your crops, all your produce, all, all that you make. We apply it to all of our income and they get into the details of it. So are we talking about 10% of my gross pay before taxes or my net pay after tax? Because that's a big difference. I once heard one pastor say, you know what? Just go to 11% so that you don't accidentally give 9.8% and fail to receive the blessing of giving God 10%. And I thought to myself, that does not sound like Jesus. Jesus does not sound like the type of guy who's like, make sure you round up to not miss the blessing. Worse, though, is the pastor who's so afraid of talking about this topic, who feels so uncomfortable that they just never talk about money. Because it is, let's be honest, it's a bit self-serving for me to stand up front knowing that my paycheck comes from you all. So if I'm the person who's up here every week talking about money, yeah, that seems self-serving. But at the same time, let's understand what this is. We all have money. We all make some level of money coming in, be it through social security or income or investments. We all spend money on various items. Some of those items are a requirement. We don't get to pick and choose. Others, we have say, and we spend our money on the things that we value. And since God is God over our whole lives, that includes over our financial lives. And so money is a topic in which God should be entitled to speak. As we walk through today's message, please understand, I'm not doing this with selfish motives. Also, as a church, we don't need like, hey, we're short money, so we're going to pass the plate twice when we're done. Lock the doors, make sure we got enough. None of that's going to happen. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. But this is an important message of obedience it applies to all of us because we all have finances to manage and hopefully we're seeking to do it in a way that honors God. So if you recall, we're studying the book of Malachi 
And this is the final prophetic word that God gives to his nation of Israel before, there's a long pause, 400 years where they don't hear anything from him. And then he starts in motion uh, the wheels of sending his son to come into the earth as a baby boy. Today we're picking up in Malachi chapter verse 6. So if you want to open your Bibles there so you can follow along, you can do that right now. Now remember, last week in the text immediately before what we're looking at today, we saw how the Israelites felt like God wasn't fair because he wasn't judging people for their wrongdoing the way that they wanted those people to be judged. And he wasn't doing it right away. And so let's look at Verse 6 is kind of a transitional verse between last week's passage and this week's passage. I could have put it in either one of these messages, but verse 6 begins, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, that's another word for saying Israelites, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So here God good that he is gracious and not judging wrongdoers immediately. Because if that's what he did the way they wanted for their enemies, he'd be judging all of them. Because just like their ancestors, they continue to transgress the law. They continue to fail to measure up to what he wants in obedience. And so this is really setting up the passage where God's going to show them yet another area of failing to obediently follow God's law. And that's verse 7 on the screens right now. He says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? This is such a simple verse, but I think it's worth pausing here because it's so powerful to each of us. You know this is still a promise to every single one of us today. No matter the mess that you have made in your life, no matter how many steps you have gotten away from God, no matter how many things that you look at and go, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I hurt that person. I can't believe I created this fiasco. God is a God who never says, you know what, you've gone too far, you're done. If you are willing to return to Him, then He will return to you. That's what this passage tells us. And so the problem... The Israelites, though, was that they didn't even know how to return to God. Probably because <clears throat> they weren't even aware that they'd walked away from Him. Drifting away from God slowly and unnoticeably is a real thing. That happened to a lot of Christians during COVID. But God's promise, no matter your situation, no matter if you hear this and you're like, yeah, I'm far from God, or maybe later in your life you're going to experience a time where you feel far from God. Never forget these words. Return to me and I will return to you. That's God's promise to every single one of us. We continue. So they ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, God's response. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. Your whole nation because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, that's the tenth, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So God's answer for how the Israelites are to correct this issue and return to God is that they're to fix it. 
They're not to just feel really sorry and offer sacrifices. God's saying, fix it. Become obedient in this aspect. Stop holding back your offerings, your tithes that come into the temple. Because here's the situation, okay? So the tithe or the tenth of all their produce, of all their crops, as Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So all that was to be brought to the temple for the Levites and the priests because that's how they lived. As Numbers 18, 21 through 24 says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. That means the, 11, the other 11 tribes got land in Israel. The Levites were not given any land for themselves. So they will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. So the big problem is the people aren't bringing in their tithes. Then the Levites don't have food. If the Levites don't have food, they can't continue serving God in the temple the way that they have been called to do. And they have to go out and get other work to provide for their family. So when the people don't bring their tithes into the temple, God ultimately isn't served in the temple by the Levites who are singularly minded in doing their task for him because they have to take care of their, themselves and their own families. Plus, in addition to this once a year tithe, every third year, a second tithe was collected to be used to or in the land. And this was in addition then also to all the other offerings associated with all the other festivals. So scholars believe that ultimately the amount that people brought to the temple to honor God over the course of a year was probably in the ballpark of 20%. And when you hear 20%, let's be honest, there aren't a lot of Americans who are giving 20% to the church. And so it's easy to be like, yeah, okay, now I understand why the Israelites were holding back. Like they felt like they couldn't give that much. And why God's saying, but you're robbing me because this is the requirement in the law. Let's look at verse 10. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests and devour, from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So God promises these blessings. If the people will test him, if they will trust him, if they will bring to him what's required, not worry about what's left, he says, A, he's going to open the floodgates. So it's going to be this excessive harvest. They're going to yield more than they've ever yielded before. Secondly, he's going to protect them from loss. They're not going to have pests. They're not going to have crop failures. He's going to prevent the bad things from happening. And finally, the end result is that all the other nations will see them, call them blessed, and recognize the good things that God is doing for them. 
So that's the message from God through Malachi to the Israelites. He wants the opportunity to prove to them that he's the one who can be trusted to provide. If they let their hearts return to him and they trust him with the fruit of their labor, he's going to respond in a way that even their neighboring nations are going to take notice. Now, having said all that, there's a lot of debate about how this passage applies to us today. Specifically, the question is this. Is is the tithe still required of Christians today? And an implication of that, if you're not giving 10% to this church of your pre-tax amount, that was what I was always taught, then it is sin. Is that true? So, Here's the support for that recognition that the tithe is a requirement. It predates the law of Moses. The very first time in the Bible that we see a tithe given, a tenth of everything somebody has is given, is in Genesis chapter 14, where Abraham comes across this man named Melchizedek, and he gives him a tenth of all that he has as an offering. Melchizedek was this priest. A second reason tithe that Jesus holds this requirement. Look at Matthew 23, 23. He says, he, this is in the woe passages. He's speaking very harshly seven times to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And one of these is, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here's the important part. You should have practiced the latter, the important matters of the law, without neglecting the former. So he's saying, don't neglect the tithing, but also, more importantly, you've got to take care of these justice issues, mercy, and faithfulness. Finally, in support for the tithe, is saying that the tithe is a moral law. That the tithe still remains today because rather than being like the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, where how they had to wash their hands and wash the dishes and how everything happened in the temple and all the festivals that we don't celebrate, we don't sprinkle blood on the walls of our churches, but the Ten Commandments we do hold on to and say, well, they still exist. The Sabbath is still an important law of God today. And so it takes and it says the tithe falls into that category. It's this principle that all people for all time, even those before the law was given, are to practice this um, principle of giving a tenth of all that you have to God. So that's support for the evidence against a tithe. First, That story in Genesis chapter 14, it was a one-time event. Abraham didn't regularly give annually to Melchizedek. It happened once. And some would say it's coincidence that, yes, that was a tenth and the tithe is a tenth, but that doesn't mean that they go together and that it proves that God wants that for all time. The other is that the tithe was codified in the Old Covenant. It's tied in with the regulations that Moses brought, that God gave them after they left Egypt and he went up to Mount Sinai and they got all these other rules that, like I just said, we don't follow. And so people would say, 
No, this isn't part of the moral law that goes forever. It's part of all these other aspects of the law that are no longer followed because we're New Testament Christians living under grace. Third evidence against is Jesus teaching on the tithe in Matthew 23 was before the New Covenant, and it was to an all-Jewish audience. It was to the scribes and the Pharisees. And so even after his death and resurrection, he knew they were going to continue following the Old Testament law. But that doesn't mean that he was saying, this is for certain for all people, Gentiles included, going forward after my death on the cross and resurrection. It's not tied necessarily to the New Covenant that's in Jesus' blood. Fourth, Paul is silent on tithing. Paul talks about giving several times. He takes up a huge offering. It's written about in several of his letters because in Jerusalem they're having a drought, a famine. And so he was collecting money from multiple churches to bring it to the poor. That would have been one of the reasons for collecting the tithe in the Old Testament law. And at no point does Paul ever mention a tithe. He never mentions we're collecting the tenth to be used for the poor, to be used for the famine. Paul is completely silent on giving a tenth. And there was definitely opportunity. He could have called for their tenth as part of what he was writing about. But instead, we see him write these words in 2 Corinthians verses, or chapter 9, verse 7. He says, each of you, he's talking about towards that special offering he was taking, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Fifth reason, the purpose of the tithe longer exists the way it was. The tithe was for the Levites and the priests who served in the temple. We no longer have Levites, we don't have priests, and we don't have a temple. And yes, in some ways, the New Testament structure, especially how we've created in America with a paid pastor who's up in front and a building that we have to pay bills, it seems to parallel the tithe, but what the rule written for, that was all fulfilled in the Old Covenant. And when Jesus died on the cross, we went to a covenant of grace as opposed to a covenant of obedience under the law. So you can see there are valid points on both sides of this argument. I tend to lean towards the fact that the tithe isn't biblical. Having a hard and fast rule where I can say, good job, Ryan. I gave my 10%. I pleased God. We're happy. Make sure it's over 10% because 9.8, he wouldn't be as pleased. That to me doesn't sound like the God I worship, right? God we see is a God who's concerned about the heart. Um, So that's why I land where I land. But, big but, you don't all have to agree with me. I showed you there's different people on different sides of the argument. You can look it up for yourselves. Regardless of whether you believe in the tithe as a rule that God has for all Christians, and therefore sin if you're not measuring up to this 10%. There's one principle that runs through all of Scripture in both the Old and the New Testament, and that is the principle of generosity. Incredible generosity. So let's take a look at verses that have nothing to do with a defined amount that we are to give, but have everything to do with teaching us how God wants us to live with our finances. Proverbs 
11, 24, and 25 says, One person freely or gives freely, even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be is talking about heart issue. Are you willing to give to bless others, to refresh others? Are you living open-handed? Or are you holding on tight? God, I'll give you that tithe because it's required, but the rest is mine. And Proverbs is saying, no, no, no. The one who gives freely gains even more. The principle isn't about the amount. It's, are you living an open-handed life? Luke 6.38, these are Jesus' words. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now I understand, these Word of Faith preachers have kind of ruined this verse. They've kind of stamped it and said, see, right here is why I can say, if I give $100, God will give me back $200. And they've ruined it for everybody. We've run to the other extreme. And we've, you know, minimized this verse. But Jesus is saying there's a principle here. Be generous and God will be generous to you in return. Prove you are faithful in what he gives to you. Understanding, like that Leviticus passage said, everything is God's. Are you going to be responsible with it? Are you going to be generous with it? Are you going to live open-handed or are you going to say, this is mine? And when you prove you are faithful, then he will trust you enough to give you more. God's not going to give a whole bunch to the greedy person who holds it all for himself, to the one who's generously blessing others. Yes, God wants to continue feeding into that person's life so they can keep passing out and distributing all around them. Give God a couple bucks and you will, that you find stuffed in your wallet and he's going to give you some scraps. Give God your first and your best and he will give you his first and his best. Acts 20, verse 35. Paul writes this, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we have that phrase in our mind, even those who aren't Christian know this phrase, better to give than to receive. And what it kind of pushes at is, it's not all about if you give financially, you'll receive back financially. Okay? If that's your mentality, and you're playing this game, this accounting game with God, you're missing the point. The point is, it's all God's. He calls us to be people who are generous. He's a God who's incredibly generous, who gave us his son and the entire world and this entire good creation. The least we can do is say, God, when I feel led, when I see a need, I'm going to give to that. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to give to that. Because I'm, I know that there's an intrinsic blessing I feel when I'm able to step into the situations and meet the needs that I know you want me to meet. So, I'll be honest, there is a big problem with this message. Especially for younger people, no offense, who already don't tithe. There's a big gap between older generations and younger generations in giving across all of America. But those who are not currently tithing feel like, oh, praise God, I'm off the hook. I no longer have to feel guilty for giving the little bit that I give. 
Some of you might have heard me and you're thinking, I give 10% of my income to the church. And so you're like, well, what's Ryan doing with this? Why is he telling other people they don't have to give 10%? I've always done this. And so we kind of, we have this tension here. Statistics say that the average evangelical gives less than 3% to the church. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, that sounds about right for what I do. Some of you might be thinking 3%, that sounds high when you do the math, right? We're all, I understand, across this room, we're all at very different points. Um, and for the older generation, you might be thinking, Ryan, what are you doing with this message? Okay, why are you teaching what goes against what I've been taught my whole life? That we have to bring 10% into church. And I've got to be honest, it's not an ideal message for me to share. Because at first glance, it feels like I'm just lowering the bar. I'm saying, you know what, we have a lot of people who aren't doing it. Let's lower the bar so people don't feel bad. I promise you I'm not trying to do that. I'm not getting soft. But let me tell you, it is a lot easier if I stood up here and I taught black and white rules. You guys understand, it would have been a much easier message for me to get up here and say, look at Malachi. Doth a man rob God and you're robbing me. So figure out a way to give 10% to the church and make sure you do it pre-tax. Like, that's an easy message. That's black and white. We all have clarity then. And we like clarity. We like to know, am I measuring up or am I not measuring up? Am I making God happy or am I making God sad? Like, that's an easier way to do this. But I just feel like that's not how I see Jesus, that he's making hard and fast rules and holding us to them. He shows us that life is not about getting every detail right in following the rules, but it's about having a heart that's tender, to follow him. He would rather that you give one cheerful dollar than a hundred dollars to the church begrudgingly. But even better, he'd rather you give a thousand dollars cheerfully to the church because you want to see the ministry go out and make a difference in the lives of those in need. Just because I don't believe there's a bar set at 10% for everyone doesn't mean that you can freely give less. We right away when we say the tithe, the, the bar has been removed, we think, great, it's lower. Well, what if it's higher? What if he wants more from you? What if he says, look, you have, I've put these needs in front of you and you're the person who can meet them. For you, it might mean that obedience to Jesus means a lot more than 10%. But what a blessing that would be. Because as you sow generously, Scripture says, reap generously. And you'll have even more to give the next time. And I know right now some of you are still wondering, wondering, but Ryan, how much should I give? <laughs> like we're all so wired black and white rules. We want clarity on that. And if that's you, then I encourage you to follow Paul's advice from 2 Corinthians 9-7 that said, Decide in your heart what to give. Make the decision before you put your budget together and before you pay all your bills. Because when you give always determines how much you're going to give. Let me just make that very blanket statement. If you wait to the end of the month and then you look at your checkbook and you say, hey, I don't have much left. 
I can take $20 and I can give $20 to the church today. You're going to give what's left. And what's going to happen is that everything else in your month is always going to take priority over God. And then at the end, he gets your leftovers. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how God feels about your leftovers. So I'm not going to tell you, set it at 10%, set it at 5 set it at 15 You have work to do with God. You pray. You say, God, how much should I be giving? Am I giving generously right now? Or am I being greedy? Am I holding on to what I have? Have I made so many of these wants and needs in my head so that I've decided I have to have these items, so I spend all my money on that and I have nothing left? Are you saying, I want you to cut some of those things out so that you have more to give to the ministry and what's happening in Sheridan and in this community? But that's between you and God. It's not up to me to stand up here and say, well, let's get out your W-2s from last year, and then I'll just move the decimal point. Right? Does this make sense? But if you wait to the end, you're always going to give God less than what he's calling you to give, 100% of the time. You have to decide ahead of time, am I going to be a generous person? Am I going to say, God, this is first for you? That whole nother message God, it's the offering of first fruits or the festival of first fruits. Yaws gave God from the first, not from the last, because the last is always your leftovers. So whether you call it tithes or offerings, or some people call it giving or your contributions, the fact is your gifts prove your heart and your willingness to trust God with yet another area of your life, your finances. You see, your cheerful giving and your ability to not do it begrudgingly, but to be glad to give that money to God is a trusting response to God and all that he's done for you. First, your gift says thank you. It says, God, I recognize everything I have comes from you and I'm giving back to you to say thank you for the 90% or the 95% or the 50% because I give 50% away. But it's thank you for all that I am allowed to keep and use to enjoy this world that you've created for me. Second, it shows that what is important to God, ministry, missions, caring for the poor, is also important to you. When you free up your finances to participate in giving offerings, when you know that that's how the money is used, you're saying, God, I am in alignment with you. I care about the same things you care about, and so I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. Finally, it demonstrates that you believe He is going to take care of you. You trust that He is good, and that even when you live on less, He is going to provide. Each of you makes financial decisions every single day. Should I buy this or should I donate to that? How much you give to the work God is doing in our world is just one more of those decisions. Except he doesn't simply give you all the same answer. Instead, he wants you to see your heart, your trust in him, and your willingness to let go of what is so easy to think that this is my money. So don't rob God. Trust him and put him to the test and see what God can do for you. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?